Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppy. A mailbag edition of the podcast this week was going to record this Wednesday afternoon and then had this thought, eh, maybe I'll wait until Kirk's done with his radio show in case anything comes up there. That turned out to be a good idea considering what happened. Kirk clarified his comments from Tuesday. Tuesday, he was asked twice, once by me, once by Chad Lysico from Des Moines Register about whether he's me coaching in beyond 2023. And he did not indicate a yes or no to that kind of deflected. Get hit by a, get hit by a truck tomorrow. <laughs> like, you know, that's a reality. I figured that out a long time ago too. For lack of a better term on that. So that obviously raised some red flags. And then he clarified that on his radio show and also on a statement posted to Iowa social media in case as people are listening to this, they haven't heard it yet. I'll read the social media statement. While my immediate focus is on finishing the season strong, I love coaching and my intent is to continue coaching here at the University of Iowa. We have built something very special here and I plan to coach until I am no longer passionate about the game players or coaches, end quote. So that's the latest with the Kurt Ferentz, Brian Ferentz series of events this week. Now I'll jump into questions. Understandably, a lot of them are about Brian Ferentz, considering that is, it's something that we haven't seen really anything quite like this, might not see anything quite like this ever again. So I'll jump right into that. Um, First question, what does Brian say about his dismissal? He did give a statement to ESPN, um, basically saying, quote, for the vast majority of my adult life, I've had the privilege to represent the University of Iowa as a football player and coach. I've always considered and will always consider it an honor. In that time, my singular goal has been to contribute to the team football team success. As long as I am employed by University of Iowa, my stated goal will not change my priority will continue to be the well-being of our students and the success of our team, end quote. So that's what Brian had to say. We have not personally talked to Brian since media day. Usually, we would be hearing from the coordinators at some point during the bye week, usually like on a Wednesday. We did not have that. Kurt Ferentz decided that the coordinators would not be speaking. Instead, we would hear from players who have Tuesday class conflicts for reference, Tuesday is usually the day we talk to players. I think it was a missed opportunity to have accountability. And I think it's a missed opportunity for fans too to not hear from Brian during the bye week because, and the other coordinators as well, because we hear from Kirk Ferentz every week, multiple times a week, when you factor in games and the Tuesday pressers. We hear from players consistently, but the coordinators really have an important role in this. And we will occasionally hear from coordinators via Zoom because we get an assistant coach every Wednesday, and that includes coordinators, but we have not gotten Brian yet. So we personally have not heard Brian Ferentz make any on-the-record comments, aside from the statement that I read about this or about this team in general in season. Another question, unless Kurt Ferentz gives the 
2024 offensive coordinator, pretty close to free reign. Will it really matter who becomes the new offensive coordinator? The short answer to that, I would personally say, is yes and no. Yes, from a standpoint of there are things even within the traditional Kurt Ferentz offensive scheme that can be done to make the most of it from a tendency standpoint, from a just little details. You can still be a ground acquisition offense that relies heavily on tight ends to make plays, that relies on your offensive line. You can still do a lot of these things without it being exactly what we saw from Brian Ferentz. So that's the yes part of it. The no part of it is, I think it is also important to be realistic in terms of you look at it, whether it's O'Keefe, Davis, Brian Ferentz, the issues that have happened offensively, they have gotten a lot worse these last three seasons, but it's not like Iowa has been always an offensive juggernaut. So that is one of the things that will be interesting to see. How much does Kirk Ferentz let a new offensive coordinator, how much latitude will that new OC have to make changes? I think that will be really interesting to see. That also gets to a later question about what kind of offensive coordinator will Iowa get? Well, the answer to that probably is dependent a little bit on how much latitude a new OC has. If you are on the premier offensive minds in college football, and I think I mentioned this in one of the articles this week too, but if you're one of the premier offensive minds in college football and you think you're going to be kind of stuck in a system that really didn't work for Brian Ferentz or Brian Ferentz goes from kind of heir apparent to national punchline when you think about all the jokes made about the Iowa offense if you're one of those top offensive minds is that Iowa job very appealing it depends a lot on how much you can change so that's something I asked Kurt Ferentz how much latitude the new OC will have and didn't get a firm answer on that that was along that was part of the second of the times where we brought up the 2024 and beyond that he kind of deflected. Okay, so let's kind of go back here. Um, really what I'm really worried about right now are the next four weeks, and I think anything beyond that is getting way ahead. Uh, that, that would be an injustice to our football team to be thinking about any of those things that you mentioned. And that, that's my first loyalty is to the football team. So, you know, things are in your control, which I think this is, uh, you know, it's just you do what you can do that's uh, going to give us our best chance to be successful, knowing that all four of these games are going to be really challenging. Uh, you know, it's not going to change. So uh, I'd really be foolish to be giving too much thought to things that are outside of the realm of that. A question about how the powers that be reach the decision to let Brian Ferentz go. There's still a lot of ambiguity with that. There's a lot that has not been made public. Kurt Ferentz has been reluctant to go into details on that. Beth Getz has been reluctant to go into details on that. So as of right now, we don't know exactly who was in that meeting, etc. What was that process exactly looking like? Is this something Beth decided quickly or was this something that was coming where was it? How known was it that this was going to happen when it happened? 
there's still a lot that has not been uncovered at this point. So that is one thing that, yeah, we don't know a ton yet so far on a question. Why is Brian Ferentz staying through the rest of the year? I think some of it is you want to give somebody who's given a lot to this program, whether you're a fan of Brian Ferentz, whether you're not, you can't really argue that he's given a lot of hours to Iowa football and it gives him a chance to finish out the year. I'd have to double check his contract to be sure here, but I'm assuming pay is going to be the same regardless of whether you dismiss him in October or if you dismiss him in after the bowl game. So you have him under contract for this season one way or another. And the other thing too is I think the instability that would be brought about from changing coordinators mid-season. You know the playbook would not change drastically mid-season just because that's not been the Iowa way to do things, has not been to make wholesale changes under Kirk Ferentz. So as long as you know wholesale changes aren't going to happen, it's questionable how much does the mid-season change, add versus subtract. Obviously, other places make coordinator changes mid-season and have an interim in place. Those situations also have certain circumstances that don't always apply to every place. An interesting question, could this work like reverse psychology in terms of the team maybe rallying behind Brian to close out his tenure with an all-out effort? Possibly. We'll see in the just next four weeks. I know it's probably not the most exciting answer of we'll see, but I think it's possible, you know, obviously these assistant coaches build strong relationships with the team and I'm sure there were a lot of thoughts within the Iowa football facility, whether that be from coaches, whether that be from players, as you have a staffing change, I'll be curious to see you have a couple of things that could maybe add another fire to this team. I think that Minnesota loss, having that sting for two weeks, that already, maybe they come out with a little more of an edge. Now you've got your offensive coordinator essentially getting fired. It's effective after the bowl game, but it is at the end of the day, let's call a spade a spade. It is a decision from Brian Ferentz's supervisor that he is not going to be coaching after this year. So maybe that does add another chip, whether it wasn't, I don't think it was going to be a lack of effort otherwise, but I'll be curious to see if that maybe adds an extra fire or anything. Um, A question with a better offensive coordinator, will Iowa attract better quarterbacks and wide receivers? I think this is a really important question for Iowa. When you look at, The quarterback retention has not been great considering you lose Alex Padilla, you lose Carson May. You can look back the year before, you lose Deuce Hogan. You've had a lot of attrition at quarterback, and obviously Spencer Petras' injury as well, adding into that. And then wide receiver has been especially a ton of attrition. So how much you can retain and attract wide receivers and quarterbacks does make a difference, a huge difference. Obviously, how much will a new OC change that? It depends on who they hire and it depends on how much they're going to change. If this is going to be kind of a carbon copy of what's been done before, just with a different person at the helm of it, 
I don't know how much that's going to be much more appealing to recruits. You have the benefit that whoever comes in can recruit and say, hey, that was the past. That was with Brian. I'm different. So you do have that short-term ability to recruit. I will say that as much as play calling did not go well under Brian, he is a good salesman. So you do have that impact with recruiting. But obviously, retention has not been great for the offense. An interesting question about um, the whole nepotism policy with Iowa. Um, How does this relate to other Iowa teams in football? Um, Person brought up Terry Brands, you know, obviously being the brother of Tom Brands, the head men's wrestling coach, and also Hannah Bluter, the director of basketball operations for Iowa women's basketball being the daughter of Lisa Bluter, the head coach of Iowa women's basketball. Some of these other cases, I think, have not gotten the same level of concern simply because the way that sometimes this works with nepotism is when it works, you hear things like, oh, a family atmosphere, a family culture. When it doesn't work, it's nepotism. And obviously, the Brands brothers have had success at Iowa. Obviously, when we're talking right off a women's basketball national championship game appearance, Lisa Bluter has had tremendous success at Iowa and has really raised the program. So maybe some of those things don't get as much as much attention, as much of a close eye on it as the Brian Ferentz situation did, especially when you're talking about the highest profile sport and the highest profile assistant coach position there. It kind of goes along the same lines in terms of the nepotism doesn't get brought up when it works. Tyler Barnes is the son-in-law of Kurt Ferentz, is the director of football recruiting. And when you look at the recruiting job that he has done, it doesn't get brought up as much, his familial relations with Kirk, because he's had success. and. He's done a quality job at Iowa and has really helped Iowa in that recruiting front. So sometimes that can be a, hey, why is there all of this talk about Kirk and Brian? And then the Lisa and Hannah Bluter example doesn't maybe get as much attention or the Tom and Terry Brand situation also doesn't get as much attention. It's certainly a lot of family working within one athletic department. That's one of the things that when I'm talking to friends outside of Iowa who look at this from a distance, they're like, wow, you, you're covering an athletic department with a lot of family involved. Then it really is, especially when you think about the McCaffrey's in basketball, that's a little different with coach and player. Last one on the Brian Ferentz thing, then promise we can get to some other football topics. Is this unprecedented in terms of an offensive coordinator reporting to an AD? There aren't a ton of examples that you can pull from of this happening elsewhere, but it was a necessity because of that university nepotism policy. And you see why it had to be in place just because of how the Kurt Ferentz, Brian Ferentz's OC experiment didn't work. And it shows why you have this policy in the first place. 
So this is not something you typically see, but also you typically don't have these nepotism situations that require this setup in the first place. Okay, now some happier, well, some happier, some not as happier, non-Brian Ferentz questions. First one, next four predictions and bowl game speculation. Okay, so next four games... I think 4-0 is very much possible. I would not be surprised by 4-0. That being said, my prediction right now is this team goes 3-1. You look at it offensively, you have a very good chance at just something. You are playing with fire a little bit when you have this thin of a margin for error. Things naturally go wrong when you don't have the offense to really put yourself in a good position to have big leads, to win games. I think because of that, as great as the defense has been, as great as special teams have been, they really probably don't get enough credit for how much they've done. As much as they do, the offense is in a position right now where I think against somebody, I'm not going to declare it's for sure going to be this team or that team, but against somebody, I think they probably have another setback but if they do go 4-0 I think Indianapolis is a pretty safe bet especially when you think about Minnesota still having to play Ohio State I think 3-1 you still have a decent shot at it but you need some help from Wisconsin and Minnesota and that's possible when you think about the strength or lack thereof of the Big Ten West but I'm sure Everyone would rather know sooner and not have a situation kind of like two years ago where you're waiting to see what happens in the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe to see if Iowa is going to Indy. But we could very well end up in a situation where things could go maybe down to the wire. Another thing to keep in mind when you're looking at these tiebreakers with whether it's Minnesota, whether it's Wisconsin, those two teams play each other last week of the season. It'll be interesting to see. And then in terms of bowl games, the two that you're most likely going to see are brought up when you Google college football bowl projections for Iowa is the Las Vegas Bowl or the Citrus Bowl. And a couple big factors here. The biggest one is probably what happens. Does Iowa win the West? If so, that could be a pretty appealing team for the Citrus Bowl. The Citrus Bowl is allowed to take Iowa again this year. That is within their Big Ten agreement. I believe it's five different teams in a six-year period. So it is something that they could do. Now, of course, that does give the Citrus Bowl less flexibility in future years if they do take Iowa a second time in this period. But that is a possibility if Iowa does well. If there's a setback um, or if the Citrus Bowl says, hey, we want somebody else, the Las Vegas Bowl is most likely the next one on the ladder that Iowa could get. The ReliQuest Bowl, formerly known as the Outback Bowl, that has a pretty good chance of being sent over to the ACC because there's a good chance of a Big Ten team going to the Orange Bowl. The Rose Bowl is a CFP semifinal game. So if you have a Big Ten team that is of New Year's Six consideration but doesn't get to the CFP, that's where, okay, Iowa could lose that potential landing spot in Tampa. 
So Las Vegas would then be, because you can't go back to Music City, Las Vegas would be a logical solution there. But we'll see what happens. These bold projections as these next two weeks go along are probably going to be a little more accurate because things are going to kind of shake out a little more. Right now we're talking about a four-way tie at first place in Big Ten West that eventually is going to sort itself out. Or maybe it doesn't. Maybe we go to the last week of the regular season with a bunch of teams tied in first for the Big Ten West. Enough to give me a headache on the tiebreakers, but this has been a weird enough year already for the Big Ten West. So if I had to name two that I think are most likely, I'd say Citrus and Las Vegas. But those are there are a lot of factors at play here for this. Then a question about what would happen if Iowa just ignored the NCAA regarding the whole Noah Shannon situation and said, hey, we're going to play Noah Shannon anyways. I think it would be a psychological relief in terms of, because this has been a source of frustration for the whole Iowa program, for the whole Iowa fan base. It'd feel good to just say, hey, let them play. Screw the NCAA. You are risking a lot more when it comes to, are you going to risk some serious sanctions that could affect the entire team over whether you have one defensive lineman playing. It's a risky bet there. I don't think you want to test the NCAA here, especially when it could be a matter of, you could be talking about potentially we'll see what they decide now in about another week or so, but you don't want to test them on this with that potential for grave consequences when it could just mean the difference between does Noah Shannon return on November 4th if they made the decision earlier that's obviously out the window but if it just means he returns November 11th do you really want to risk kicking that much of the NCAA's hornet's nest going into that I think that's a risk that Iowa is not going to want to make whether that be at the athletic administration level, whether that be at the coaching staff level, you have a lot of risk when you directly challenge the NCAA in such a regard. A bunch of questions I'm going to kind of group together about the quarterback situation. Obviously, we're continuing to see Deacon Hill week after week. Kirk Ferentz signaled that there is still a clear one, two, three at quarterback, one being Deacon Hill, two being Joe Abus, three being Marco Inez. It, I think, confuses a lot of fans when you see just how bad things have been going for Deacon Hill and compare that to how good or at least not bad things were against Kentucky in the Music City Bowl with Joe Abus, where Joe you know, was not necessarily looking like C.J. Stroud out there against Kentucky, but was avoiding mistakes completed 58% of passes despite having a lot of pressure first career start. So really did an admirable job considering the circumstances. Again, no turnovers. So you see that, and then you see Deacon Hill's numbers, which 37.8% completion percentage is just not going to win you games. It's been a surprise to see Kirk continue to stick with Deacon. He has brought up at various points, how he sees things in practice and they continue to evaluate and they keep an open mind. At this point, you kind of wonder what's happening in practice to have still it be so clear. And part of it too is if Kirk 
really has some uncertainty internally. Like maybe the distance isn't so far. He's probably not going to say it publicly just to avoid kind of the public spectacle that comes to the quarterback competition. So that can be part of it too, is okay. The clear one, two, three, how clear is it could be a question, but some of it too is Kirk seems very confident in this decision and he sees something clearly that makes him believe that Deacon Hill is the best quarterback. I think you're really risking a lot by continuing to go down this route, Deacon could lose a lot of confidence if he keeps on having games like he's had the last few times out there. And at this point, what's the harm in trying Joe Labus? It's hard to picture him completing less than 37.8% of his passes. There's a lot of upside too. If you get the quarterback position figured out, the run game is going to be a lot more effective. The offensive line, I think, has developed but you just haven't seen it as much because the numbers are against them. When teams totally know, can totally buy in on stopping the run because you just haven't had that adequate passing threat. At this point, it's surprising to see at least not trying Joe because that could be the difference potentially in three and one or four and oh. And if you get that quarterback position figured out, it certainly is not unrealistic to picture them going 4-0 in these last four games. That would theoretically send them to Indy. And yeah, it could change the, even if you're talking about maybe just a difference of one game in the win-loss record. I think a lot of fans would appreciate seeing football that includes productive offense and not 12 total yards in the second half. Unfortunately, out of time, but thanks to everyone who, sent me questions and until next time we will talk hawks later get a daily update from the gazette with our daily news podcast add it to your podcast player or your alexa friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day check it out at thegazette.com podcasts